You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Good morning, Life Church Livonia. What's up? It's great to have you here with me today. If we haven't met yet, my name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Life Church Livonia. And welcome to week two. That's right, Conum one, two of our series of flourishing life. Uh, in winter, everything dies, doesn't it? I mean, I don't need to tell you, you probably live in Michigan watching this here. And you know, the depression sets in, the tiredness sets in, your motivation, you know, just with the sun, always in the dark, you know what I'm saying? And we feel that, and we try to fight that with New Year's resolutions, and sun lamps, and vitamin D, and trips out of state, but it does little to give us peace and stability in difficult seasons of life, be that actual winter or emotional and spiritual winters. But God's will for you in every season is that you would have a flourishing life in Him. And that goes way deeper than just a New Year's resolution. So the question we're looking at in this series is how do I grow a flourishing life? How do I grow a flourishing life? Last week we looked at how a flourishing life is a life that's lived on purpose. And we talked about this ancient tool known as the rule of life. And we're going to link uh, a link in our video description here so that if you go, I mean, what is a rule of life? How would I even begin one? I really encourage you to check out the sermon from last week. It was a great teaching on what a rule of life is and how it can help your life and grow a flourishing life. And we have a tool to help you begin your own rule of life through a sheet you can download just from Google Drive. So that link will be in our uh, video description. But this week, we're no longer looking at a rule of life. This week, we're looking at how a flourishing life doesn't waste its pain. How a flourishing life doesn't waste its pain. Now, pain is an an inherent part of the human experience. We experience pain emotionally. We experience pain physically and relationally and spiritually regularly throughout life. We experience pain in good things like sports and exercise and learning to be married. And we experience pain in bad things like wounds of the heart and the mind and the body. The pains of life come to us in every day, right? It's dealing with that really difficult boss you just wish you didn't work for, right? It's having to work with that competitive or cruel coworker that you just dread seeing in the hallway. It's simply just having a stressful day where everything seems like it's piling up one after the other. It's trying to discipline a disobedient kid when you know, you're just up to here and you're not sure whether they need a timeout or you need a timeout, right? It's trying to rebuild a relationship with a wayward adult child after they've broken your heart for the umpteenth time. It's cleaning up the aftermath of a broken relationship that you had hoped so much more for. It's being shocked and stressed by a financial crisis you were not prepared to deal with. It's carrying the gravity of a health issue that you're not sure how it's going to get healed. It's trying to live life again after the loss of someone you love. In these times, it's normal to ask why. Why is this so hard, God? Why would you let something like this happen to me? If you love me, why am I experiencing so much pain? I know I've certainly been there asking those questions. We want to know the purpose behind the pain so we can endure it and move through it. And there's two kinds of pain. There's dirty pain, 
which just hurts, destroys, and lessens, right? Dirty pain might be breaking your arm or getting embarrassed in front of your coworkers by your boss. And then there's clean pain. Clean pain is a pain that transforms us because it has a bigger purpose. That might be breaking your arm so that it heals correctly and sets correctly. Or it might be asking your boss for feedback and critique so you can get better at your job. You get the idea. One facilitates transformation and the other just hurts. That being said, I don't think the right question in these painful moments in life is the question, why is there pain, God? Why is the pain here? I think there are many things we'll never know in our lifetime about the whys of life, about why things happen to us the way they do. But I do think the question, how can I let this pain transform me, is more helpful. And I believe it takes us to greater places. On March 17th of 2021, a man named Dick Hoyt passed away at 80 years old. Now, some of you may know who Dick Hoyt was, and some may not. Dick is famous in the world of racers and runners. Dick didn't start running until he was 36. And between 36 and 70 years old, Dick ran 257 triathlons. Six of those triathlons were Ironman length, which is mind-blowing. On top of that, he ran 72 marathons, 97 half marathons, 219 5Ks, and he biked across the entire continental U.S. That is unbelievable. That means between 36 and 70, Rick would have run a total of 7,032.57 race miles, biked a total of 11,446.8, swam 249.72. That's a total of 18,729.09 race miles. And the reason I say race miles is because that doesn't even include the training he would have to do to be able to do those races. That distance is the same distance as traveling from the top of Maine, the most northwest corner of Maine, to the most southwest corner of California six and a half times. That is unbelievable. Can you imagine the pain, the endurance, the stamina required to do that? All of which he willingly paid. You have to pay for races. You don't get in for free, right? He paid to take on that kind of pain. What would cause a person to subject themselves to so much difficulty, so much hardship, so much sacrifice, and so much pain in these races? We well, see Dick traveled a lot of miles, but... The reason Dick is famous is not because he ran these races. It's because in every single one of these races, he pushed his son Rick in a wheelchair for the runs. He pulled him in a boat behind him for the swims. And he rode a specialized tandem bike for the biking. You see, Rick was born with cerebral palsy. And Dick and his wife were told that they should just put him in an institution because Rick would never be more than a vegetable. After much discussion... The Hoyts decided they weren't going to do that. They decided that they were going to raise Rick like any other boy. They could tell by his eyes that Rick could understand them and was intelligent, and that though he was disabled, he wasn't dumb, and that he had the potential for greatness in him, and they didn't want to take that away from him. So they had a computer made so that Rick could communicate with them because he couldn't speak due to his cerebral palsy. While in high school, a classmate of Rick's was in a lacrosse accident that left him paralyzed. The school decided to put on a five-mile run to support this student and his family. And Rick asked his dad if he would run the race with him, pushing Rick in the wheelchair. 
Far from being a long-distance runner, Rick was, or Dick was 36 at the time and had never done a race before. But to support his son, he pushed him in a wheelchair and he finished all five miles. At the end of the race, young Rick in high school turned to his dad and said, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. That one event transformed the pain of Rick's cerebral palsy into a reason to run. And it transformed the pain of running into a purpose for Dick and Rick, who came to be known as Team Hoyt. Wasted pain is pain with no purpose, no reason, no hope, and no redemption. But when we give pain a purpose, it gives us an endurance that leads to greatness. So the question is how, right? How do I give my pain a purpose and not waste it? Well, the Bible speaks very directly to this, and it uses the metaphor of a race to do so. We're going to be reading in Hebrews chapter 12 today, and we're going to walk through the first eight verses of Hebrews chapter 12 and just break them down together, kind of expositing them together to learn how this scripture teaches us to give some purpose to the pains of life and lead us to a flourishing life, despite our pains. So we're going to take this passage in three sections, and then we'll kind of tie them all together in a summary at the end. So in the first section, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So let's just start at the top. Hebrews 11 just came before this, and Hebrews 11 is a very, it's a very uh, famous chapter. And in this chapter, Hebrews 11 goes through this kind of hall of fame of people who had amazing faith throughout the whole Old Testament. And it's applauding these people for the way that they ran the race of life with God. So the writers of Hebrews starts with this great cloud of witnesses that he refers to from Hebrews 11. And he shows how their model inspires us to throw off sin and to fix our eyes on Jesus to run the race of life. Now, a couple things I want us to notice here. One, he compares life to a race. And he doesn't mean a 5K, okay? You know, so when I think about life as a race, what does that mean? Well, many of us have run with Team World Vision, right? They're one of our mission partners and mission priorities here at Life Church Livonia. And many of us have run half and full marathons with Team World Vision. So you know this well. I've personally run four half marathons. Amber, I think, has run five. And in 2021, Amber ran the Chicago Marathon. So we're very accustomed to races and running in our family. It's a part of what we do together. And when I think of life as a race, a couple things come to mind in light of those half marathons and marathons. I think, wow, that's hard. <laughs> life is hard. I think, wow, that's long. I think it requires a lot of effort. It requires a lot of endurance and it's painful. But at the end of the race, there is a finish line that makes it worth the journey. So the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand life in a similar way in this analogy. And he points us to people who have come before and Jesus himself as a model of how to run the race. So that's the first thing he wants us to understand. The second thing he says is that sin hinders and entangles us in this race. Meaning it puts a drag on us as the runners of this race and keeps us from the finish line. 
when I was training for my last half marathon, uh, I, there was a moment I was doing one of my long training runs, one of the final ones before the half marathon, and I think we, we capped it. You're supposed to cap at 10. I might have done 12. I can't remember now. But anyway, I was like in double-digit miles, and, you know, I'm feeling it. I'm like breathing heavy. I'm trying to avoid the survivor shuffle where you're just <laughs> barely making it through. And I'm running, and I'm on Heinz Drive, and I'm running by one of the parks, and in front of me pulls a car. And I was so tired. I was like furious at this guy. I was like, you selfish, self-absorbed, the high and mighty Buick LeSabre. What is wrong with you? You know, I'm just like so angry that I have to take just a couple more steps to get around this guy and that he couldn't have like waited two seconds till I passed. I was so mad. And I was mad because he made me go out of my way to make extra movements that made the race that much harder. And if you've run long distances, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know where you're just like, oh my gosh, my body is depleted. Everything is hard. The only thing keeping me going is willpower. And any extra movement I have to make is not a movement I want to make. The writer of Hebrews tells us that sin does the same thing to us in the race of life. It holds us back. It wastes our stamina and energy on things that keep us from the finish line. We're meant to throw off the sin that separates us from God in order to live the life he designed us to live. This takes perseverance. And we run the race by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. I love Eugene Peterson. He's a, a pastor who passed away a few years ago, but he just wrote so much rich theology I really appreciate. And he uh, wrote the message version of the Bible, which is his paraphrasing of Scripture. And I think he paraphrases this so beautifully. He says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I love that. It's just so well said. It's beautiful. It's poetic. And it's so true what we're talking about here. One other just kind of fun historical anecdote is 776 BC is when the Olympics were invented in Greece. And they weren't abolished until the 300s, I think 392 AD. So while the writer of Hebrews is writing this, the Olympic Games would have been just part of the culture he's writing in. And so the idea of these athletes that trained and disciplined themselves for the purpose of a race is a common theme that's not just a part of our culture, it would have been a part of their culture as well. The writer of Hebrews moves on then to say this. He says, For the joy set before him, him being Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggles against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So I, I want to zoom in on that joy set before him line real quick. My sister got married this fall, 
uh, to a man named Jacob, who we really love. Jacob's an awesome guy. Her last name changed to Levergood, and I've called her Kay Ray, Kaylee Rayhill, for her whole life, and now i got to find a new nickname. It's not your fault, Jacob. Your name's fine. It's just not as rhyming as her maiden name, okay, buddy? So anyway, at the wedding, um, my dad told the story of my grandmother's passing, which seems like a weird story for a wedding, you know, about the death of, <laughs> death of a grandparent. But my sister Kaylee was actually born on my grandmother's birthday and it was this bizarre amazing kind of beautiful chaotic thing where my grandma was in the hospital dying from cancer and my mom was in the same hospital going into labor with my sister being born and my grandma every day knew that Kaylee was coming and so she literally fought back death in order to see my sister, who was the joy set before her, in order to see this new life that was coming into the world, my grandma pushed back the hand of death so she could see this new life entering the world before she left it. And on my grandmother's birthday, Kaylee was born. And Kaylee was born and they got her cleaned up. And one of the first things that they did was brought her down to my grandma so that my grandma could see the joy set before her which she endured her sickness and pain for. And not long after that, my grandma passed. For the joy of seeing my sister's life, my grandmother endured suffering and denied death. This is a picture of what Jesus did for the joy set before him. And the joy set before Jesus was not just the new life of my baby sister, but the new life of you and I born again to be close to him, no longer separated by sin, but united by the cross. This vision of intimacy with you empowered Jesus to endure the pain of the cross. The shame heaped on him by his community, religious community, and the devil himself, Jesus endured it. And he laid his life on the line in his struggle against sin for our sakes. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, in our struggle against sin, none of us have gone as far as to lay our life down for it yet. But Jesus has for you. And Jesus has overcome sin so that you and he might have the joy set before him of you and I together with him in intimacy. So we gain endurance from considering the joy of Jesus. And I, I love how Eugene Peterson summarizes this again. He says, in this all-out match against sin, Others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed, so don't feel sorry for yourselves. <laughs> I love that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then finally, the writer of Hebrews concludes with this part of the passage. He says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. The writer of Hebrews concludes with saying that we should be encouraged when we face hardship because God is disciplining us like a father disciplines his kids. And the fact that we experience hard things is a sign that we're God's kids. Now, this is an easy thing to misunderstand. 
And, and it, in order to properly grasp it, I think we got to understand two things. We have to answer two questions. First, what does he mean by discipline? And second, why is this a sign we're God's children? So first, what does he mean by discipline? Well, when we think of discipline, uh, some synonyms that often come to mind are words like punishment, are words like disappointment, correction, rebuke. But that's not what the word means, okay? The word here is paeda, which means training, as in training for a race or for an event, as in the way an athlete disciplines themselves so they can compete for the prize, right? So if we replace the connotation of punishment with the idea of training, the passage reads like this. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's training and do not lose heart when he convicts you because the Lord trains the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a child. Endure hardship as training. God is treating you as his children for what children are not trained by their father. If you're not trained and everyone undergoes training, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Do you know what this means? This means that scripture is telling us point blank that every hard thing in our lives can be training to become like Jesus. Every hard thing in your life and in my life is training to become like Jesus. All human beings are made in God's image, but the Christian journey is moving from being born in God's image to being born again into God's likeness. Looking, talking, acting, thinking, moving like Jesus, who is the first of us to run the race of life in the way that God designed and intended. Now to be clear, what I don't believe this passage is saying, and what I'm not saying, is that every hard thing in your life is sent by God on purpose to train you. I don't think that's what it's saying. Sometimes scripture shows us that that's true. Like in the case of Jesus in the wilderness, God sends Jesus out to be tested and approved in the wilderness through temptation. But sometimes difficult things in our life happen through the consequences of our own sins, our own poor choices, and our own foolishness. God's forgiven us for the sin, but the consequences of that sin still remain. We see this in the aftermath of David and Bathsheba. Sometimes hard things in our life are a result of the sins of other people that are affecting us. Our parents, our siblings, our family may have sinned, and we have to live with some of the consequences of that. And we see that in the case of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph did nothing wrong. His brothers were the ones that sinned, but he had to bear some of those consequences. Sometimes it's the devil attacking us. And it's the hardship is a result of spiritual warfare. We see this very clearly in the book of Job. Sometimes it's just the brokenness of the world because the results of sin from the fall, and we see this in death itself. However, regardless of why the hardship is there, a flourishing life uses every hardship, every difficulty, and every pain as training to become like Jesus. So when you're going through your life, that's not just a difficult boss. That's training to wait on God's timing like Jesus did on the cross. That's not just a stressful day. It's training to be centered in the love of the Father like Jesus was in Jerusalem. 
it's not just a disobedient kid. It's training to be a parent that's a reflection of our Father in Heaven. It's not just a disappointing relationship. It's training to find our sufficiency in the Father like the Apostle Paul did. It's not just a financial crisis. It's training to trust God in everything like Elijah waiting for bread in the wilderness. It's not just a health concern. It's training to wait on the Father's healing like Anna waited for Jesus' birth in the temple. It's not just a loss. It's training to... Find our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promised hope of the resurrection. Every single hard thing that happens to me and that happens to you can and should be transformed from the dirty pain that just hurts into clean pain that transforms you and I into the likeness of God. And when I can receive every hardship as training to become like Jesus, my life begins to flourish because the pain stops having no purpose and starts having a clear purpose. The kind of purpose that creates a flourishing life in every season. So that's the answer to the first question. <laughs> the second question, though, is still an answer. Why is this a sign that we're God's children? Why is hardship a sign that we're God's children? And I think one of the reasons I like this question and this idea is so often we view hardship as an interruption or a curse into our life. But the Bible is telling us here, no, no, no. You experience hardship because God's treating you like his kids. And the question is why? Well, when we're a part of God's family, we join God's mission and he wants us to follow him, right? Makes sense. That means we go where he goes. Okay, that tracks. That means we do what he does. Okay, that tracks. That's what Jesus did. It means we say what he says. Okay, that tracks. That's what Jesus did. And sometimes God brings us into difficult situations, not because he's displeased with us, but because he wants to be in the situation. And because he's in you, he's sending you into it. That's the whole point of the incarnation. Jesus' life was very hard, and it ended pretty brutally. Is that a sign of God's displeasure with Jesus? Not at all. But God wanted to be in the world so that his presence might be made known in the world and that people might be brought to him, and so he sent Jesus into the world. The hardships of the life of Jesus are not a displeasure at Jesus. It is a favor for you. And God sent Jesus because God's in Jesus, right? And it's not quite the same Jesus is God, but he's in you and I as well through the Holy Spirit. And so that situation that you're in that's hard simultaneously gets transformed into training for you and God's intervention, presence and influence in that difficult place. It's a sign that we're God's kids because he's disciplining us, which is the same word as disciple, right? Disciple and discipline come from the same word. He's discipling us to be like him. And he's including us in his family business, which is the redemption of the world, which requires us to go into hard situations, meet with hard people and be in hard places. Now, this can be difficult to accept because we live in such a pain avoidant culture that when Jesus interrupts our comfort and pursuit of happiness to make us whole and holy, we call his character into question because he's simply not supporting our values of comfort over character. But God's value for you is your character matters more to him than your comfort. This is God's will for you. Not that you would avoid every difficult situation, but that like Jesus, you'd be able to enter any difficult situation and bring redemption to it. Bring God's presence to it. Bring his hope to it. God doesn't want you to be the kind of person who just chronically avoids the hard parts of life in his name. He wants you to be the kind of person who can persevere in hope in the midst of loss and death. He wants you to be the kind of person that can remain balanced and steady in a really hard day. 
He wants you to be the kind of person that doesn't match your kid's chaos with your own chaos when they're in a bad space, but can be a bringer of peace. He wants you to be the kind of person that can rest in your weakness, knowing God is strong. He wants you to be the kind of person who's financially responsible, yet doesn't lose their inner peace uh, and doesn't let it be bought and sold with the bank account balance. God wants you to be the kind of person that's like him. And so the reason he's treating us like children, his children, when hardships enter our lives, is because he is putting us into hard places so that we might be an agent of redemption. And then he uses those things to train us to become more like him. So let me ask you this today. What hardships, pains, or difficulties are you experiencing in life right now? And what would it look like to let this pain train you to become like Jesus? Maybe God's growing you in the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe God's trying to build into you a greater love, some joy, a deeper peace than you've ever had, patience, goodness, perhaps. Maybe he's trying to take you from great acts of faith into faithfulness every day. Maybe he's trying to help you control your temper or your temperament and become gentle and lowly. Maybe he's trying to make you self-controlled. Is God growing hope in you, perhaps, in this season? Hope in the resurrection and hope in eternity. Hope in the things to come and hope in the power of God. Is he growing faith in you? Faith that God can do anything and that what is impossible for me is not impossible for him. Is he growing love in you? Love for your neighbor, love for your family, love for even your enemies. Is he growing endurance and character? I think some of us here this morning are just in a place where we're really feeling it. Life is brutal right now. And uh, we are at a place of unprecedented difficulty. We can't imagine things getting much worse than they are right now. And can't fathom what God might be up to in this, let alone how he could possibly redeem it. If that's you this morning, my encouragement to you is that what is impossible with us is possible with God. He can redeem anything, so don't lose heart. Seek first God's kingdom and Jesus's righteousness. Receive this difficult experience as, a, as an opportunity to become like Jesus and go, okay, Lord, how do I live like you in this situation? How do I become more like Jesus in this situation? And if you seek Jesus's kingdom and his righteousness first, God will take care of the rest. Some of us this morning are in a place where we've come out of a long, hard season. Maybe it's been a couple weeks or months or years since that season. And we're beginning to see what God has done in us in that season. And we're feeling ourselves begin to get rejuvenated and revived and feeling grateful even for some of those difficulties because of the character it produced. And if that's you, I just want to ask, how could you lend your faith, your encouragement, your presence of hope, to some of our struggling brothers and sisters who need that solidarity of just knowing someone's hearing this with me. Some of us this morning are far from God. We've never had a relationship with Jesus. We just logged on to check out church and didn't know what to expect. And now we find ourselves here close to the end of the service. And our lives have been full of dirty pain, full of a lot of hurt, full of a lot of brokenness and a lot of things have been destroyed in our life. Relationships, opportunities, people. And if that's you, I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That he might redeem your life and give you a life and life to the full that you've been longing for. Listen, every single person in the whole world is looking for a fulfilling life. You are and I am. And if you find yourself here this morning and you're far from God, is your life fulfilling? What would keep you 
from telling Jesus this morning, okay, I'm willing to do things your way. I'm willing to try life your way. I've done it my way, and here I am. And God, if it's possible and if you're real, I ask that you redeem some of these things. You transform all this dirty pain into something clean that sets me free. And I want to invite you into that. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he put all of our sin to death. And when he rose from the dead, he rose into a new kind of life that he's inviting you into today. And I want to extend that invitation to you and let you know that God is reaching out for you because you, knowing him and being close to him, is the joy set before him and is the reason he endured the cross. And I want to invite you into that today. Would you pray with me? Father, life is hard and painful. And God, I just ask that you take the pain in my life, Lord, And you give it a purpose. Help me to see what you're growing in me and find me faithful, Lord, in doing my part. Lord, I've done life my way a long time. And I'm willing to try yours. And so, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again from the dead. And God, I just ask that you would change me, that you would save me, that you would make me new. I pray that you would give me your presence and that you'd show me what to do next. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I want you to reach out to us. I want you to message us on Facebook. I want you to hit up our digital bulletin and comment in the comment section because God wants you to be close to him. And we want to invite you into his family here at Life Church Livonia. See you next week.